Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Negotiation. And on today's show, we talk with Alex Duncan, co-founder and product lead at KWO, a platform that helps global brands be loved on social media. We deep dive into the various social media platforms, how each are being used by brands today, and the importance of quality content creation. Alex, what is your favorite Chinese brand and why? So that's a great question. I would have to say Xiaonyu, the scooter company. They, for people that are not familiar with them, and I think it's actually pronounced new overseas, they actually went public on um, the NASDAQ in uh, New York just late last year. And they have embodied this spirit of new innovation coming out of China. China is the most advanced market in the world when it comes to electric scooters. And the rest of the world is way behind and trying to catch up. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Alex, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Todd, it's great to um, chat to you. You know, you and I have been friends for many years back since we first met in China, probably sort of eight plus years ago now. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's going to lead into the first question I, I want to ask, um, just so that our listeners can have a sense of where you come from, where your interest in China, um, started to develop, how you ended up in China and, uh, what you've been doing in China before getting into the current role that you have now. So I, I mean, when I tell the story about how I ended up in China, it seems remarkably reckless and foolish, um, to, even to me. I basically, I left university. I had great options um, to work in London and to stay in the UK. And I just didn't fancy it. I was young and ambitious and I wanted to go on an adventure. And a couple of people had just offhand mentioned to me that Shanghai was this amazing place where things were happening and that, you know, you could, anything could be done um, at any time of day or night. And I just wanted to go and check it out. And so I bought a plane ticket. I flew to Shanghai. And when the wheels of that plane touched down, it could have been a fishing village for all I knew about Shanghai. I didn't speak a word of the language. I didn't know a single person living in that city. And I just took a few Mandarin courses and I, I did whatever I could to make money in those early months. I did voiceover work. I did some modeling for a stock image library. And I just sort of hustled and um, started to make a life for myself. I worked in e-commerce for a, a crazy old British entrepreneur who'd started a company um, there. And then I started my own company designing um, dresses and clothing for people back in the UK. And then I came to China Accelerator, which is where you and I first met up yeah. in Dalian. Yeah. And this journey of learning and failing and um, all of these experiences in China eventually led me to do what I do today, which is um, to start this company that I feel like I was made for it 
takes advantage of all of my strengths and I get to work with a great team. We all get on super well and we get to build um, world-class software um, here in Shanghai for our customers who are also um, global, spread all over the world. Talk a little bit about KWO, which I would have, I, I introduced it off the top of the show um, and what you're doing. Tell us a little bit what KWO is, where to come from, uh, why you uh, why you feel like this is a, a very important part of um, your contribution. So KWO is um, basically the hootsuite of China, which will probably mean um, more to uh, the more the to the North Americans and the Canadians, yes, yeah, the North Americans. Right. Um, out there. I know it's a company that Canada is very proud of having um, helped create. And so basically we help uh, companies and occasionally individuals um, from all over the world to manage their social channels in China because the social networks here in China are very different to the ones which are used overseas. Instead of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you have WeChat and Weibo and increasingly Douyin and another platform called um, Little Red Bull or Xiaohongshu. Mm-hmm. And these platforms don't look um, really a whole lot like those platforms overseas. And it can be very challenging for brands, even ones based here with teams, to manage those channels. And so we've built this piece of software that, um, or this um, platform that allows brands to collaborate better, to get insights about what their followers in China are wanting to hear from them, and to basically do better on those um, platforms. And the, the way we came about this journey was, I think, the way that many of the best um, software companies, certainly the ones I look to, all started, Basecamp and even Hootsuite itself. We scratched our own itch. I came from working at Starwood Hotels and I saw firsthand the problems of what it was like for a large company with many different teams all over the place managing their own social channels and the risks it posed to their brand. And my other two co-founders came from an agency where they were struggling to manage all of these accounts for multiple different clients. And the early days, we just got together um, and hacked away building this um, embryo of a software platform and as we built it for our own um, agency team, it gradually starts to grow and evolve. And eventually we saw the opportunity to sell it to other teams outside of um, the initial agency mailman that founded it. And um, since then, it's just grown and grown. How aware are you of brands using and leveraging social media outside of China um, to accomplish uh, brand loyalty and, and, and drive, drive revenue. I'm just wondering because I don't, and maybe this is just me, but I don't see a lot of brands getting in front of my eyeballs in Western social media. And I guess I'm alluding to trying to dig out whether it is different when brands are looking to enter China, how much they should pay attention to being active and running social media types of, uh, of content and, and advertisements there. My impression is that social media is incredibly important to brands overseas. You know, almost okay. every um, brand has a Facebook page, a, a presence on Twitter, on Instagram. It's a major touch point with their customers where they can interact very directly. They can react to feedback and they can um, enter the conversation and the zeitgeist and to go viral. And many of those things are also here um, true in China. I think one of the big things in China is that there's a different relationship between media 
media and information. Mm. And um, brands here have to be aware that um, social media is an incredibly important factor in making decisions here in China for, for consumers. So many consumers, when they're looking to what destination to travel to, um, or where they're looking what products to buy or which team to support or um, what activities to do, they use social media as a touch point to see what their friends and connections and what influencers on these platforms are also doing. And that informs their decision making. So I would, from my perspective, um, brands here you know, are also investing very heavily, but it's also more important in um, establishing your trust in the market to be present on those platforms and to have other people talking about you there. Yeah. But let's say this, they're, in the in the west they're managing their own they have their own team they have their own people it's all internal i guess well that that is to a certain extent true there's still many brands that outsource to agencies um all over the world but um i think in china um agencies really dominate in the landscape here partly because so many brands have been in a rush to get into the Chinese market and building your own team here on the ground is phenomenally hard. The rate at which this um, economy has grown is, has far outpaced the talent pool here. You know, if you look back, um, five, 10 years, almost nobody here was studying marketing and communications and social Mm -hmm. media barely even existed. And uh, this entire industry has sprung up overnight. It's grown, you know, a thousand fold. And so all of those people that are working in these roles there now, they have far less experience than their counterparts overseas. Mm. Uh, Many of the people that we talk to now and working on the front line of marketing here in China, they study finance or accounting or business management or something else that um, is not related. And so they're just finding their way um, as it goes. And that's a huge challenge for um, brands here to, you know, to put together a strategy and have it executed. If you don't have the people who can deliver that um it it really is um very hard and so that's why a lot of brands here um have come to depend very heavily on agencies because they can um, get something going a lot quicker and uh, you know dozens of agencies have sprung up many of the ones you're familiar with overseas have established huge presences here but many um, indus- um individuals have um created their own agencies to help these brands navigate this very challenging and fast changing um environment true and yeah. that is starting to change though more brands are starting to reach a level of maturity where you know they rushed into this market with abandon and now as the economic growth is starting to slow a little bit and they're starting to um, take stock of the kind of mess they've found themselves in in many situations they're trying to get this back under control they're trying to get it more organized they're trying to hire internally they're trying to put in place software platforms and we'd like to think that KWA will be one of those in order to get better process, better organization and more effectiveness in these social platforms that have boomed in just a short space of time have also become a lot more challenging. We just published a data report on um, WeChat and Weibo 
you know, several years ago, brands was, everybody was rushing to be on WeChat and it was easy because you were one of the only voices there. You know, when WeChat public accounts first opened six or seven years ago, there was about a million of them created in the first year. Well, we're now at a point where there's 20 million of them and the average user follows less than 20 of those accounts. So you're now in a situation where you're really competing against lots of other branded messages. And so it's really about raising your game finding your audience and really starting to understand them better and create content that engages with them. And so we're starting to reach this level of maturity um, where brands are looking to be more um, organized and sensible. Yeah, well, you can't just smash the market. You There's probably yeah. a lot more nuance and sophistication that's needed now because, like I said, the noise yeah. is incredible. And how do you penetrate yeah, that? It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, incredible. And it's so challenging for so many teams. What are What is Weibo? Do you mind kind of giving me a little bit of a map um, for our listeners to kind yeah, of understand sure. what's what? Yeah, no worries. So um, Weibo is most easy to compare to Twitter or something like your Facebook newsfeed. Mm-hmm. It's a place where um, people can create these short bits of content. Um, just up, They're actually up to 2,000 characters, which is um, quite a bit longer than a, uh, a Twitter post. They You can have up to nine images in a single post, and they also have some other um, different formats of content. They recently launched um, an Instagram stories type product called Oasis, which is um, just getting going. But Twitter is the place um, on the uh, Chinese internet where things can go viral and things can trend. If anybody wants to get a sense of what it, um, the kind of potential there, there's a fantastic story you can read on, read on BuzzFeed that happened a couple of years ago about um, Brother Orange. Um, and I would highly recommend you go and read that to get a better sense of what Weibo is like. Search Brother we Orange chat- on BuzzFeed. Yeah, search for Brother Orange on BuzzFeed. I won't. I won't ruin the story, but it's um, it's a okay. it's a long and very very good read. So you were you were saying WeChat was like Twitter, or um, so no, Weibo is like Twitter. Right. Another okay. great source yeah. of um, uh, staying up to date on what's happening on Weibo is Manja Kurtz's um, blog What's on Weibo. She's um, a Dutch journalist living in uh, Amsterdam, and she. Uh, keeps on top of all the latest trending things on the, the Chinese internet and writes a lot of great content there. Okay. Um, you can follow her on LinkedIn and on uh, Twitter. Um, so Weibo is most similar to Twitter or the Facebook newsfeed. Then moving on to WeChat, WeChat really looks nothing like any um, Western social network. <laughs> For a start, the main application is essentially like WhatsApp except probably best to describe it as WhatsApp on crack because you can do so much more with WeChat than you can with WhatsApp. You can process, you can buy almost anything in any store. You can pay your electricity bill. You can buy train tickets. You can buy, you can invest your money. You can send money to friends. You can create a a group um, bill when you finish a meal in a restaurant and everybody just automatically pays their share of it. You can create group chats for work, for um, general interest, um, but then on top of that, for brands, there are these things called official accounts. And as, with an official account, um, there's a couple of types, and I won't go into all the details here, but you can read about it more on our website. Basically, it's a little, um, you're sitting alongside the chats in their feed, and you can push content to them. And this content is long form. It's um, long um, articles that can contain videos, rich media. They can be very heavily designed to look like an advert, or they can look as simple as a medium post. And this is um, what most 
brands are creating on WeChat. You can also create these things called mini programs, which have been phenomenally successful. And Mark Zuckerberg has openly um, said he aspires to be more like WeChat in this sense. And they're like mini applications that can load instantly within a chat. And they're very powerful connection between online and offline. So you have these QR codes, which people are starting to become more familiar with in the West. Yes. They're absolutely everywhere in China. And you can scan one of these and an application can load instantly within WeChat. They have a limit of two megabytes to make sure that that can transfer instantly. You don't have to go to an app store. You don't have to download a huge thing. They're very easy and simple to build using um, the same kind of technologies you might build a website with. And they can very easy allow brands to create e-commerce stores or to create apps that are um, specifically for an event for check-in. You can use them to um, open one of these share bikes that you see on the street. You can use them to um, request a car like an Uber. You can use them to um, get your friends together and do a workout or a run. So they have become also an absolute runaway success for WeChat. And all of these things are happening inside this one super app. You can even use your WeChat to hold your Chinese identity card if you're a Chinese citizen, and you can use it to scan um, to get onto the subway as well. So that's WeChat, and it can be phenomenally hard for brands to know what to do because there are so many options and so many different ways to go with that. Can I ask a quick question? So it can be overwhelming. I want to be able to picture uh, many programs really took storm after I left. It's instead of uh, a company creating their own app uh, and getting it, you know, on the on the China App Store, um, they could potentially create uh, a, like a mini program is a mini app, mini in size, yeah. mini in functionality, and yeah, you scan a QR code and it actually opens up inside a chat. Yeah. So, well, it opens up inside your WeChat, right. um, and you don't just get to them by scanning QR codes. You can send them to somebody. Um, so for example, I could say, Todd, let's join this workout tomorrow in this park or at this gym. And I can send you this little card in your WeChat. You click it, you're instantly in the workout. You can give um, the little mini app permission to access your profile photo and your name, and then you can register. If there's a charge for it, you can take that money out of your WeChat wallet and pay the fee mm-hmm. um, for it as well. So they're these fantastic, super lightweight um, little applications um, that can load almost instantly. Okay. For anybody who's a bit more technically familiar, they're like a, a good implementation of progressive web apps that have sort of been long promised um, in the West. Okay. I think when you said a minute ago, it's when you said it, instead of building a native app for iOS or Android, they could build a, a mini program. I would say they should build a mini program hmm. instead of um, a, a native app. It's definitely these days a lot harder than the uh, native app landscape in China is a lot more of a challenge. Android is incredibly fragmented between different device makers and different app stores. And so a mini program works ubiquitously across WeChat. Okay, we're gonna come. Find, we're gonna come back to this question, and we're gonna talk more about the social programs. Um, but is there a threat? I mean, when you build your own native app, you own the environment, you own the the data. If you build a mini program and it really just lives inside the the WeChat um, environment, is that potentially a threat? 
Well, I, I want to make it clear that, you know, if you build a native app, um, you're also um, playing by Apple or um, Android's rules in many respects. Mm -hmm. And Apple have been fairly ruthless in competing with apps that are in their own app store. You know, we've seen recently where they introduced parental controls. They just wiped out a whole series of apps and a whole series of businesses connected to them who were doing that kind of thing. Um, so WeChat, yes, there are, there are also those risks. Um, but there's nothing to stop you from connecting it to your own data source inside your own backend. The framework um, and the infrastructure is really very powerful and flexible, and it allows for a lot more rapid iteration. Um, mm. So I think it's the, the the benefits definitely outweigh the disadvantages. I was going to say because the investment is so small. Program. I mean, I was really just throwing the scheme yeah. out there for you to blow it up um, for our listeners. For anybody who's actually more interested to know more about mini programs, I was actually lucky enough to record a training course on mini programs mm. in collaboration with um, Tencent and Udacity. And you can actually find that on Udacity's website. It's a fully English, it's the first training course in English for how to develop mini programs. In WeChat. Yeah, in WeChat. Brilliant. Um, so it's part of Tencent's efforts to um, globalize a bit. Okay, carry um, on with so the mapping. So carrying on with the mapping. So we've done Weibo, we've done WeChat. The next one is probably Douyin. And you're, it's actually done incredibly well in the West as well. So TikTok, as it's known in the West, um, this short video um, uh, app out of the company ByteDance, which mm -hmm. um, was incredibly well um, funded by um, Masayo Sun. And so... Uh, Douyin has short videos. They're often very funny. They, um, you know, you can just keep scrolling through them. It's quite a challenging place for brands to be because you really have to be capturing zeitgeist, doing something funny. And so a lot of brands really struggle to get going with um, TikTok. You have to really create um, high quality content in order to get, garner any kind of views. It's not yet meet, reach maturity, but it, um, it has grown very rapidly and it um, is definitely here to stay. Um, there is also another app from ByteDance called Totiao, which um, is a news service that is also quite popular, but hasn't seen quite the runaway growth that Douyin has. Douyin is also bringing in some other more advanced features where you can do e-commerce um, directly inside of uh, their inf um, infrastructure. Um, so that's another opportunity. And then the final one to talk about is Xiaohongshu or Little Red Book, as it's um, known in English. Mm. And it's sort of a little bit like a mixture between Pinterest and um, Shopify or something like that. It's basically about product reviews and product discovery. It has a more heavily um, skewed towards female audience. And um, it's a place where people can talk about your product. You can actually create a store there and sell your product on Little Red Book. And again, talking going back to a point I made earlier about trust um, and, and third-party validation um, for consumers being very important. Xiaohongshu really is an embodiment of this. Like if you're deciding what um, skin cream to buy or something like that, many people will head to Xiaohongshu and look at what other people are saying about the products. And so it's also a place where um, KOLs are quite present too. Right. Okay. So I don't know if that sounds more like a Reddit or a Quora, or just a consumer reports, or it's a it's a it's a product review site. 
it looks like Pinterest. You know, it's you've yeah. got all these little cards and you you click into them and there's product reviews and then brands themselves can have a presence and they can more of the content that brands actually take advantage of there is them curating the reviews of the ecosystem and adding them to like a, a board on their page where you can see, you know, these are all the things that people are saying about us, mm-hmm. as well as creating their own com- content. And they have they can have everything there and build their own store right inside Shahangshu. I just wanted to ask you about enterprise accounts. What are they? How do they differ from from other types of accounts on WeChat? Why do brands care? So one of the things I love the most about WeChat as a tech company is that they really put the users like you and me first before they put the advertisers and the brands. They're not like Facebook and Twitter and platforms in the West where advertising is the majority of their revenue. WeChat have a, however many, I don't know what it is this year, $6 trillion payments business where, you know, even taking a small percent of any of those transactions um, is a very significant revenue stream. Plus Tencent has lots of other revenue streams too. And so they've really kept the experience very locked down for brands. You can only post four times a month if you have a service account. You can publish once a day with a subscription account. You can not enter a user's um, feed, moments feed inside WeChat. Only The only time your content can get there is if they, the users themselves share it there. And when they share it, you cannot see any of that data other than you just know that it was shared by 170 people or something like that number of shares and i love this go view yeah i love this about wechat like you know the, the while the west is scrabbling to um deal with sort of privacy and the escape of um information toward two brands wechat really has made the user more of their focus um and so very protective it, of it them is too. A, yeah, they they try. They constantly try to make the experience I feel um, as good for the user as they can, and um, I think it's a great thing. And so, enterprise accounts are the only way that um, a brand can really have an official presence on WeChat, and you have to be you have to verify them with your business license and. Um, you can create content and you can have a, a store there and um, take payments and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's um, not, not the free for all, which it is on Facebook or Twitter. Fabulous. Can you talk a little bit about the trends on WeChat and Weibo and how brands should be approaching content creation, just looking through Q4 and into 2020? This is actually great timing to answer this question because just last week we published our 2019 um, Data Insights Report where we tried to answer exactly these questions for WeChat and Weibo. What we've seen over the last three years is as everybody rushed to be part of the party, the engagement, the read rates have declined on lots of accounts, but that decline seems to have stabled in 2019. We've not seen the same precipitous falls and what we've actually seen is an increase in some cases we've seen an increase in the share rate um, and the ways that people are finding your content so i think what we're going to see coming going into 2020 is that um, this is going to continue and people are going to have to focus on quality we found this fantastic correlation in the data between people unfollowing accounts when they publish low quality content and i think this um you know threat to brands is going to force everybody to raise their game you're going to have to listen to your users you're going 
have to understand what are their wants and needs. You've got to be able to connect with them and, and create content that is quality and that delivers value to your users. And I think that's the, the sort of the main trend that we're seeing. Um, in the next year, and it's it's high time. The the industry, when it comes to marketing and advertising, has been on an endless bandwagon of jumping on the latest platform, the latest trend, um, and we're now seeing this point of maturity. These platforms are here to stay. There's not going to be some new cool thing coming out next year that is going to unseat the major players in the market. And so um, we have to you have to kind of um, raise your game um, going into the next year. And if we see the economy start to slow down, we're not going to be on this endless sort of hiring spree where you can keep adding new members to your team. Mm. Teams are going to have to look at how they can be more effective, collaborate better, communicate better. We're going to see a bit of a shakeout of um, the agency landscape as um, some of the weaker players um, inevitably um, fall by the wayside and ones that really deliver um, great service are going to um, rise to the top and continue to do well. Excellent. Okay, so now, given the, everything that you've said there, into our last question, what would be your best piece of advice to brands that are looking to enter the, the China market? I really think you have to be patient and you have to realize that in many ways you're starting from square one. Whilst in the West, you have um, this long, um, usually a lot longer history, brand recognition, you have something that you stand for. In China, many brands, many, many brands are starting from um, sort of square one and they're having to establish themselves for the first time. And you've got to be patient and you've got to realize that it takes time to educate your Chinese consumers and for them to adapt their behavior to whatever value proposition you're looking to um, sell. It's about being patient about listening and um, understanding your consumers here. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, we've been friends for a very long time. I think all the way back to 2010 uh, when you were riding your bike around Dalian. Uh, it's been great to catch up and uh, great to hear more about what you're doing and what you're up to. And I, I thank you for all the sage advice. Thanks, Todd. It's been my pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you next time you're over here. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jin.